Oi, oi, I'm Jimmy Bullard, and this is me old muck of Fenners. We're back together, son. How are you? Hey, Bully, great to be back working with you. What are we doing here, though? We're starting a football club in podcast form. The only thing we know, it's called FC Bullard. After that, it's all up for grabs. So, we haven't got any players, we haven't got a kit, we haven't got a club badge, we haven't got a stadium. Correct. FC Bullard. Welcome to the club. This is a crowd podcast. This episode is sponsored by Cheese Grummet, Ben Wallace. To be more like Ben, go to patreon.com forward slash Joe Marler Show, become an official sponsor, get bonus content and grow the show today. Who are you? What do you do? We currently don't have a clue, but give us 40 minutes of your time and we'll get along just fine on the Joe Marler Show. It's the Joe Marler Show. Hello and welcome to our show. I'm Joe Marler and this is Tom Fordyce. Joe, it's lovely to see you as always. A slightly different episode for us today. We're going to go to some quite dark places. There will be interesting places. There will be light as well as shade. Before we get into that, very quick mention. As always, if you want to support the show, you can subscribe three ways. Apple, Spotify and Patreon. For a pound a week, you can get bonus content, ad-free episodes and you will be growing the show at the same time. You can also listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Joe, you've got some notes. I've got some notes. Should we get our guest in? Tom, although you mentioned that we'll go to some slightly darker places in this episode, I'm sure we need to do like some sort of official trigger warning. This episode is about sex trafficking and... Everything that comes with that. Yeah, so if this is a subject that you don't want to go into in any more detail, we've got plenty of other episodes for you to listen to. In the meantime, let's get a guest on. Our guest today is Nina Hobson, who is an ex-detective, bodyguard, and who now runs a counter-sex trafficking organisation. Hello, Nina. Hello. Thank you for having me this morning. Oh, that was quite a... Hello. G'day. Oh. Was that because we were talking about Perth no, beforehand? No, please, I can't be your friend if you say I sound Australian. Oh, I no, I didn't say that. To, but... to be in America, I need to keep the British. They love it, and it gets me out of all sorts of scrapes, so... Do you go posh or British when you're in Los Angeles? I don't do posh at all, really, do I, with this <laughs> accent? <laughs> you don't have to be posh in Los Angeles, you just have to speak English and they think you're posh. And you're really And related cute. to yeah. the royalty as well, yeah, if you're English, so... Royal family. Yeah. Um... Tom, it's a slightly darker turn. It certainly is, Joe. That we, on today's episode, than we usually take. And we thought about this one, didn't we? Is it the sort of thing we should be doing on this show? And we thought, but this show is all about meeting interesting people, fascinating people who do things that we don't know much about. And Nina is absolutely in that category. Nina, you, uh, you run an organisation that helps counter sex trafficking. How the fuck did that come about? That's a really good question. So... Because of my background in the police and working in the paedophile unit and with victims of sex crime, I fortunately was asked to join um, a charity and, and help them really to raise funds for rescuing kids. And when I went to meet with them, I was like, well, I don't want to just be raising funds. I want to do this. I want to be boots on the ground. And so I started working for the charity and it was amazing. And, and Super Bowl weekend is like the biggest weekend for sex trafficking what? in, in the world. 
What do you mean? As so, in the NFL Super Bowl weekend? Yeah, yeah. So the sex traffickers will, over Super Bowl, they'll run their sex trafficking where the Super Bowl is or in Vegas, and they'll traffic kids to those points because of gambling and it's associated with gambling. So we start um, looking into the intel in the October prior to the Super Bowl in the February. And one of the, uh, it's two years ago, we were running a uh, Super Bowl operation and we'd been at work solid for 10 days and we'd not had a, we'd not rested, we'd not eaten. Then I looked around this room and I was like, a government couldn't pay the skill set that's in this room and every one of us is giving our time for free and every one of us is making a difference. But when you looked at who we were as a collective, it was incredible. And every single person that I work with in this area wants to do it full time. And sadly, there's so much trafficking that it can be done full time. So that was when I took a step back and went, okay, well, let's set up a non-for-profit so that everyone can be paid and we can make a difference to more kids. I think we need a definition at the top here, Joe. Nina, what exactly is sex trafficking? So sex trafficking, and I'm glad that you've raised that because people get it confused with prostitution and, you know, there's no problem with prostitution and it's a business that's been around forever and it's a consented business. Sex trafficking is when somebody is literally taken against their will for sexual purposes and then for financial gain. Now, the financial gain, as we know, is not for the person who's having sex, who's also not always a minor, but the financial gain is for the people who are running those organisations. So that for me, what springs to mind straight away is the Liam Neeson film Taken. Right. I know we're not we're actually talking about real life here, but is that an example as close to, for people that have seen Taken, or mainly for me really, of the sex trafficking industry? <laughs> that they're taken against their will, drugged up so that they become vulnerable and easier to deal with and then sold to the highest bidder. Yeah, I think that actually is a really good example and it's something that everybody can relate to. But also like the Epstein case, you know, that kind of brought a highlight to a different level of sex trafficking because society thinks, most of them, society is like it's an underprivileged child, it's from a difficult background, you know, no social economically deprived. That isn't true at all. Sex trafficking can be, you can be sex trafficked as anyone. And I think with social media, it's made life a lot easier for the traffickers. I mean, it does make life easier for us too to find them, but they are sophisticated people. And it's it's no difference from gun crime and, and drug crime because it's money at the end of the day. But there is a kind of a, a whole different, there's a numerous examples of it, sadly, but Taken is one of them, yeah. So how does it work, Nina? And we'll get into the Super Bowl later because that is a frightening and staggering thing you've told us there. So we'll talk about that in a bit. But how does, I don't want to call it an industry, but how does the sex trafficking world work? Well, it actually is an industry because um, there's pecking orders as well. So you normally have a, a pimp who will find a girl and it may be that they're found to order. It may be that it's opportunist. It may just be that the pimp's short, that somebody's left or somebody's got away or they've served their time because they're too old now. And they will take them, as you said, Joe, they'll take them to what they call a breaking house and they will pump them with drugs. And then once they are, you know, compliant to the pimp's needs, they'll start having sex in an enclosed environment and then they'll put them on the street or they'll take them to whoever's asked for them because some of these people are asking for a specific type. And again, with Epstein, it kind of brought that out a little bit to society. This is Jeffrey Epstein, yeah. the case, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know how big that's been in the UK, but I think it's been pretty big because of the royal... 
connection. It's been pretty big. But it's a kind of, so there are different levels, but it's still sex trafficking. If we are looking for a child who's a minor, we have to get permission from that guardian. And, and when I say guardian, because sometimes it's not the parents. And one of the cases that we did recently was where the parent had actually sold the child because she needed a hit to a pimp. And we recovered her and she's actually doing amazingly well but even recovering her was a complete ordeal because obviously we're now chopping off the pimp's money tree chopping it down so it can get pretty heated out there forgive me nina i don't mean this to be disrespectful in any way but i do have trust issues don't i tom Mm -hmm. you're fully aware of that and we've met for the first time today and i'm hearing all this now so when i ask this question it's not to be disrespectful but this is real Right. What you're talking about now actually happens, real life. Actually happens, real life, yes. How prevalent is it? It's a growing trade, and that's the real sad thing. And it's a global trade, but it's growing. And you have units that are trying to stop it, obviously. And the British police actually have a really good team of people who are trying to stop it. So when we do it, we said we need funding because every dollar makes a difference to somebody's life. But when I've been talking to a number of A-list celebrities and they're like, oh, we want to get involved. Okay, well, can you write a check then? Oh, no, we want to be on the ground. It sounds so cool. And yes, it is. It's, uh, you know, a lot of people see what we do. You know, we look like a SWAT team when we go in, and but we're not. We're not police. And we there's certain boundaries we can and can't cross. But it's not cool. It's dangerous. And the people that work in this world, they should all be paid fortune but they're not because it's a passion and it's it's a, a project that we do and we make a difference and it's really interesting working on the team because you you can be working for 10 days straight and then we find somebody and we'll pat ourselves on the back for a minute because we know there's a, the next person to to recover but yeah it's sadly it's very real friday and saturday night in la is at a certain location is like sitting on the M25 at five o'clock in an afternoon. There's just car after car after car and there's girl after girl after girl. And, you know, we've got a picture, normally a, a school photo. Can you go and identify this girl? Is she out there on the street? And you suddenly look in, in this, who's got makeup and wigs and heels and you've suddenly gone from this kid who who looks like 12 on the, her school photo to, oh, we've got to double check that that's who it is. But that's one of the identifying them as well. Right, talk us through how an operation might work, Nina, from start to finish. There are various levels of operations. So we'll plan an operation, for example, the Super Bowl. That's a pre, that's a yearly event that's planned. However, it may be that 2 o'clock in the morning, we get a phone call to say, we've just found out that this girl's missing. And that intel can come from a number of sources to us. And so we will pull a team together at that time and we'll do our intel and we'll do our background work first. Background work is always really important for A, to try and give us the best possibility of location, but B, for everybody's safety. You know, the team have to stay safe too. And then, so we'll brief so that the team are briefed. And then once we've got that intel, we'll go out to wherever we believe we need to be at that time. As I say, if it's a planned, and we do planned operations throughout the year, not just Super Bowl, then we're working on intel. Everything we do is intel-based for everyone's safety. And then just like getting the Guardian to sign over, because if we went and grabbed a child and we hadn't got permission, we're now kidnapping a child. So there's a lot of fine lines, but our kind of thing is if we can make a difference and save somebody, we'll justify the rest later. Do you have different roles within your team? Yeah. So what's your role and what other 
Well, so we have what we call the snatch and grab team. So we're the ones who are actually on the ground. And then we have the cyber intel people who are the ones that are way, way too clever and smart that we don't even know where they are most of the time. They look like they're in a wardrobe. <laughs> um, and then we'll have a, a, if we're on an operation, we'll have a catering team who looks after the team. Um, and then we'll have a tattoo artist. So the tattoo artist comes with us on operations or sets up shop. Why do you have a tattoo artist? Because a lot of pimps will brand the girls that they take. That's the first thing that they'll do. So... uh, Brand them? Brand them with a tattoo, yeah. And it basically tells the rest of the pimp world, hey, she's mine, so you can leave her alone. And often it's on the face. So we have a tattoo artist that goes out with us and tries to cover up that tattoo as soon as possible because that psychologically is a huge barrier. We have one guy, one pimp, we haven't got to grips with him yet, but we will. And he puts ATM across the cheek and he was arrested for something else and he said that's so because he can get money out of the girls whenever he wants them. Fucking piece of shit. Yeah, do you want to come work with me, Joe? (laughs) I I don't think I could because I would fucking hell. I don't know, I just sit here getting full of rage and anger and I I wouldn't be cool enough to actually do things properly. I'd end up probably either getting shot or shooting someone. And and look, you know, the team, we all feel the same and we are all that passionate about no different to anyone else and I'm a, I'm a mum and they're all, most of those are, who I work with are, are dads but it does take a, a special kind of person. My daughter and, and son, they work with me in other operations. My daughter's like, mum, I, I can't talk about this and that's fine, you know, I know where her limits are but the thing that we, we feel as a team is that we're making such a difference and it is hard because you see some some really horrible things and I think it's really important from our own mental health perspective that we are able to talk to someone and the guy that had the charity said to me you know Nina you go home at the end of an operation and there's no one there I want someone to be there so that you can just feel that you are normal and I I did do an operation and I that happened where I, I got home it was 4am we'd been up for like three days we did a really successful job and I got home and I was like oh, this sucks, like going into an empty house. I just want to know that normality exists and people are human. So I understood that. But we do have each other and I think it's really important that we as a team talk to each other. And I love to be able to talk about it. So thank you guys for giving me the opportunity because it is such a thing that we could all make a difference. You don't have to be on the front line, you know, in a bulletproof vest and fighting with people, but the difference that everyone could make is is kind of huge. I've got so many questions then about you, Joe. So many questions. The thing I can't stop thinking, Nina, is how you process the things you've seen. Because most of us in our work, Joe, we might moan about it, we might whinge about it a little bit, but we're not seeing the things that you're seeing, Nina, and we're not coming across the sort of people that you're coming across. Just on that, you mentioned the word pimp a couple of times now. And for me, unfortunately, whenever you mention that word, I've got this sort of glorified stereotype from the rap industry in the 90s where, actually, funny enough, head to toe in like purple velvet suit and all the rings and the gold and a cigar and all that lot. And it was sort of glorified. And oh, it's, what, it, what is a pimp? Is, do you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry well, I put it that no, way, no. but that's the only reference I've got in my head. And it's actually kind of right. Not everyone who's in sex trafficking, but the guy, you know, if we went out on a Friday night to locate our kids, you would see exactly what you've just described. Exactly. Or you, you didn't put 
10 chains on and, you know, the blacked out windows and they are all driving a Mustang or a Dodge Charger. Like, we know that they're still doing that. But on the other side, there's the people who are unseen, connecting through social media, which again is turning into a nightmare for us, really. Or there's the high, high-end people like you, Maxwell, who, you know, she was basically a pimp. I mean, she that's what she was doing. That's just job. for people who don't know who she is. Just explain, Nina. So she was the girlfriend, partner... So uh, Maxwell. Uh, yes, of uh, Epstein and was not charged for a while, but has subsequently been charged. And she was grooming girls to take back to his mansion. And that's basically, she was pimping the girls for him. But we don't see it in the, the stereotypical way that you've just described, Joe, but it's still happening. We, we have a case now where it's a Russian girl that's gone missing. We know where she is, but the family, a very well-known family, had an amazing life and she was literally taken, taken exactly like the, the movie and is in Europe. And I can't obviously say too much more on that case. And she is basically being used by very high-profile, high-end political people but it's a lot more it's a lot more political than that although the the pimps and the traffickers are doing it for their financial gain who are they getting this financial gain off who's requesting these girls who's actually the sickos that are going yeah i want this underage filipino girl from x y and do you know what i mean who the fuck are the characters that are doing this i mean that's a really good question because it, it could be anyone i mean you've got your you've got what we call the johns who are driving the streets and picking up the girls on the streets that's all they do and then you have the people who don't want to be identified ever so they'll arrange a, a secret meet and they'll do things through the internet but there's so many sickos and weirdos that want somebody under the age of 12. I mean, you and I, we can't logically comprehend that in any way, but that in their mind is what they want and that's why there's a market for it. And so the dark web is very active. And again, the British police, I, th I think, are doing an amazing job in that area but you can't pinpoint I mean I had a I was cop as you know and I had a sergeant and he he got charged with the paedophile world is very entwined with the the sex trafficking I suppose because it's an easy way but it's a pimp it's around 250,000 a year a pimp will make on a girl so when we cut that, that money tree down, that's why there's an issue. But then they'll just go and get another one. That's the problem. It's not a trade that's going to die out. It's something that's ongoing. And it is something that's talked about. I don't know so much over here as it is in America. It is talked about. And celebrities and athletes particularly are, are trying to get on board. And I know that the charity is funded by a couple of baseball players. But it's like we talk about it and then we don't. We talk about it. I, I was working for a well-known TV company and they came and uh, onto set and were talking about oh sex trafficking. I said, yeah, it's six miles from your really big house in Beverly Hills. And he was like, oh, that's terrible. I must keep the gates shut. Okay. Fucking or, hell. Yeah. You know, that's the problem that we have with funding because everyone does want to get on board. They think, I don't know anyone who doesn't think it's disgusting and awful, but it's, you know, how do we make it stop? So when you're starting a case, Nina, where do you get your intel from? So we would get the referral either from the 
family or from an organisation that's working with the family if the child's not at home. And that's pretty much what we'll get a picture and then we start digging. And obviously we start with things like social media and that's what we do. But so they could be anywhere by this point? Could be anywhere, yeah. Uh, and I'm, you've literally just got a photo of them and and, and we get And uh, we get most of their details if we can because, you know, it's very rare nowadays that you would get a child who hasn't got a phone or hasn't got an Instagram account. Now, yes, they have a lot of private accounts and this conversation will go on private accounts, but that's why we have the cyber guys because then they can get into those and there's certain things that we can do that will attract the trafficker to make contact with us. You've spoken about the setup of your organisation that go after them. What's their setup of the illegal activity? Like, do they have like a hierarchy or how does it actually yeah. work in terms of the people you're going after? Yeah, they do have a hierarchy and they also are really smart with social media. So we have to be one step ahead of them. It's an organised crime group, so it's no different from dealing firearms or drugs. And I keep saying that because I want people to understand that it's such a big crime. But then on the streets, they'll have the girls on the streets and they'll have what they call an overwatch, who is normally... So the, the, a pimp could have five girls on, not necessarily all of them underage, not necessarily all of them trafficked. It could be that he's running some prostitution as well. But he would then have what they call an overwatch. And an overwatch is normally an ex-prostitute or an ex-sex worker who basically has got older and she's in charge to make sure those girls stay on those corners wherever they've been put and to make sure that they're coming back. So if they do go off with somebody there. So in their sick mind, it's we're protecting our girls. Look what we do. And then the, the pimp will drive round the area that, and it's a very confined, and I'm talking about LA because I'm that's the recent, most recent one I've been on, a very confined environment. So the pimp will drive around and if a girl goes in a car, he will go and check. He'll follow the car if he gets an opportunity and check that she is okay. Because, I mean, it's that raw. It's like we're not talking going to a five-star hotel. However, there's also trade that's happening there within a very, very well-known hotel. And it won't just be Beverly Hills. It will be... Kensington and it will be wherever money is because this is about money and so they will then report up they do their money swapping so they don't carry their money because that's obviously a, a risk and puts them at risk so they do swaps of money yeah it's like a business to them these are clearly very dangerous people Nina so you must find yourself in similarly dangerous situations yeah they are but I don't think we ever um and my daughter said this the other day she said if ever I worried that mom wasn't coming home I would never let mom out the door because we are super close sometimes I do things that I probably don't think about and probably should but I think that we're so all driven we know it's we've got the skill set to do it we're all driven by the justice part in us that sometimes we I mean we're not stupid that we take unnecessary risks and, and sometimes we've had to leave a girl and that's heartbreaking because of the safety issue to the team and then you just hope that you get the opportunity to rescue her next time. I, I don't ever see that I'm at risk. I see that I'm smart when I'm doing stuff but it's been my world for 30 years now. I mean 15 obviously as a cop but it's just maybe it is time at some point in the not too distance to hang up the, the I don't even say gun because I'm not allowed a gun in America. Every Everyone else in America, yeah. You can't have a gun in America? No, because I'm not an American citizen, so I can't even have one under my bed to protect me. Yeah, it's... it's Mental. Yeah. So you don't have a gun, Nina. 
But have you found yourself involved in shootouts? Mm, I don't have a gun, but I know every, where everybody else's is. So we'll right. have a gun briefing. So this is at the start of a briefing. We will know exactly where each other's guns are. So other members of your team may have guns? Yes, yes. And what are the rules on using them? Because... Are you working alongside the police? Are the police aware of what you're doing? The police are aware of, of what's happening. Sometimes there's a love-hate. The actual sex trafficking officer in LA is amazing. But the guys carry guns if they're allowed. Everything that we do is legal. So we're no different to you. If you shot somebody, we're no different to that. We have to have reasonable cause and we have to be able to justify that. Obviously, we are putting ourselves in situations where that may be more likely than you having to do that. Let's hope hope that's the case. But we are no different to any other member of the public. I mean, we have closed concealed weapon licenses, or the boys do, and you can carry three weapons and we can have a firearm in the car. But if anything went wrong, then we're no different to any other member of the public. Shall we have a break for some adverts and then come back after? We'll come back after these ads. Okay. Shrink the Box is back for a brand new season. This is the podcast where we put our favourite fictional TV characters into therapy. Join me, Ben Bailey-Smith, and our brand new psychotherapist, Namone Metaxas. Hi, Ben. Yes, this season we're going to be putting the likes of Tommy from Peaky Blinders, Cersei from Game of Thrones on the couch to learn why their behaviour creates so much drama. So make sure you press the follow button to get new episodes as soon as they land on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Shrink the Box is a Sony Music Entertainment original podcast. Nina, you talked at the start about the Super Bowl. I've got so many questions about this, Joe. I'm sure you have too. Why the hell is the Super Bowl such a notorious weekend then for sex trafficking? I think, again, because it's about money and gambling goes hand in hand with the Super Bowl. And a lot of people go to, and I'll use Vegas, they go to Vegas for the Super Bowl that would never normally go to Vegas. That's their one occasion. And it's kind of like a weekend away holiday kind of vibe that, somebody's having and while we're there not only do we get to play on the tables we can play elsewhere why does it have to involve sex trafficking i still don't why not just watch the super bowl on a big tv drink and if you want to gamble on it gamble on it because it's an organized crime i'll relate it back to football hooligans not that it's the same but back in my early days of policing in the 90s soccer hooligans i have to differentiate now what's to get in trouble who's what it wasn't just soccer hooligans it was organized crime on a saturday we would stand at filbert street in leicester yeah. and uh we would know that the guys were talking to each other. It wasn't about watching the football. It was about this is a crime that we can all get in a fight. And that's how it worked, really. Maybe not in the media, but that's really what it was. And it's no different with sex trafficking. It's a financial crime. There's always a trade and there'll always be a trade. So therefore, what's an opportunity where you're condensed in a moment where it's it's the gambling world, it's the alcohol world, what's next on the list? And, it, you know, people say, oh, we took a couple of hookers back to a hotel room. Again, 
that's not a problem at all if that's a consensual thing. But then the bar is getting lower. You know, what people want is getting lower all the time. And uh, there's an opportunity and it's about opportunity for the the traffickers. Nina, can you tell us a little bit about the success stories that you've had? Absolutely. And there are many, many success stories, which is fantastic. There was one particular girl from a beautiful, beautiful family. And her, her mom is now a very big advocate to try and stop this horrible trade. And she was randomly taken. Like, it wasn't any connection she knew. She was literally taken off the street. And her parents contacted us and said, you know, can we help? Can we find her? And I think we found her around 20, she's probably only going to live for another 24 hours. She was in such a bad state. She was so on so many drugs, had been beaten and everything horrendous. We found her and it was not a very nice situation, but she's she's out. She's now amazing. She's doing really well. She's loving life. She'll always have issues because of what's happened. And that's another thing that people, you know, oh, she's rescued. She's fine. This is a life sentence for these girls and boys. What was the process in finding her, collecting her, returning her? How did that work? So we started with a a spot where she went missing from yeah. and then we looked into her phone and that's the thing we'll look at all of our victims intel and see who they contacted and it literally is like putting the jigsaw together it's pulling out what if this helps and then we go down that road and it may be a dead end and then you go back to the starting point and you go down the next road and fortunately on that particular case there was a lot of interaction with the sex traffickers on text which there often is so we were able to do some technical magic and and uh, find where his location was at that particular point. Now, that's not always going to happen. Sometimes they're smarter than that. But the tech team is so incredibly good. And, you know, putting things on people's phones so they open them tells us where we are. We also do things like number plate vehicle recognition. So we can get a pattern of where that car has been if we have a reg plate and you know in London no different to anywhere else there's cameras everywhere so we we can use that and that gives us a pattern so yesterday he was at this address now is this address where and this particular case this address kept coming up so eventually we were like okay we need to put surveillance on that address and wait for him and that's what we did and so you know we would sit for hours and hours and he came back at, that's how we got him but every every story is different we have a story where a pimp took a girl from a hospital. Um, he'd been following her on social media. She was not well. She had some eating disorders. She was putting that on and she wasn't getting on with her mom. And the next thing, the pimp's at the hospital and I, I won't use the word pimp for him. He's a wannabe pimp. That would give him too much credit. So they, so he's, he's targeted... He's seen that this girl's vulnerable and he's yeah. targeting vulnerable people. And and that's social media, that's happening a lot. You know, kids put on, whether they've farted, breathed, eaten, whatever they put on social media, and the pimps pick up on that. So, oh, I hate my mum, she's a bitch, and she won't buy me a new phone. That instantly, if they're looking, because they scroll it like we do, that can be a trigger to start grooming that child and, oh, I can get you a new phone. And to the point where it may be a, an arranged meet and then, bang, you come in with me. But they're social media savvy. Really, really good at it. But we're better. You use quite a, a casual phrase for this, Nina, when you talk about grabbing a pimp. But everything you said about these people makes me feel it's going to be more complicated 
than the, just than walk it up to him, say, just grabbing him. Hello, excuse um, me, my friend. This is a uh, uh, citizen's arrest. Um, do you mind just putting your hands behind your back? Surely, it's not as easy as that. It's not as easy as that. However, on times it is exactly that. Like I will be in the back of a vehicle. We know that this girl is on the street at this particular time, and it's a case of drive past. We know a pimp's around, pull her into the vehicle and get the fuck out of here. Nina, in the course of your job, you are clearly pissing off a lot of (laughs) powerful people who have access to high-grade weaponry. Has anyone ever attempted to stop you talking and stop you doing what you do? Mm, It's funny you should mention that. Um, I try not to piss people off at all. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I try. This whole hour's really, you know, sort of said the opposite. But, I mean, you piss people off in a real... Like, piss off the people that you should be pissing off. Yeah, that's that's a good pissing off. Yeah, it's a good pissing off. Do it more. Yeah, okay, okay, yeah. But, yes, in 2018, I had a hit taken out on my life, which was, you know, it was a fun time not. As casual as that, you just gone, oh, there's been a hit taken out on my life. Yeah. How did you find out? So I was actually investigating what turned into, I I think it was a $100 billion global money laundering. And I had two private clients who were actually separate, but we obviously realized it was the same target. So we started a big operation and we had informants working with the baddies. And somebody died in the Philippines, one of the targets. I needed their computer real quick. So we went and fetched the computer. And I thought I now was dealing with the murder of the guy in the Philippines. But an organized crime group wanted the computer more than I did, apparently. We continue with the investigation and then my informant rings me and said, uh, just so you know, they've just taken a hit out on you and it's this guy. And I was like, early? Yeah, they needed that computer and you've really pissed them off. Well, it's not here because I'm like, who's listening in to the call? I was like, it's not in my house anymore, I like which it wasn't. That. I would have been like, it's not here! <laughs> it's not here! <laughs> so I rang the police because obviously the police have a job and they were actually incredibly, amazingly fantastic. I can't praise them enough. So they came to my house and the detective said, it's not true, it's not happening. It's, you know, people say this all the time. And I was like, okay, well, I just wanted to record it because if anything happens to me, I want my kids to be able to sue you. And oh. <laughs> not you, Joe, <laughs> not you personally, but the cops. They'll get fucked <laughs> all out of me, mate. <laughs> uh, or the police. Yeah. Um, and so anyway, on the that was on the Thursday. On the Monday, they came back and said, we've had that hit confirmed. So now oh. you're going into protective custody. And I'm like, no, I'm not. No way. What, I, why, why would you say no to going to be protected? Because when can you ever come out? Like, when do you know? Why can't you? they do the things they needed to do with me living at my house? Because once you're in, you're kind of in. The risk is always going to be there. And my son, he was 18 at the time. He's living at my house and I have a four-storey house and he has the bottom floor and I have the top floor. So the police said, okay, well, if you're not going into custody, we'll put some plans in place. Your son obviously needs to move straight upstairs. You need to live high because we don't want them shooting through the bottom window. We're going to wire your house to the police station. We're going to put panic buttons on everything and uh, we'll give you some police protection outside. So then my son was at home and it was two o'clock in the morning and on my 
fifth floor, there was another bedroom. He was in that bedroom. Obviously, neither of us could sleep. We were like sitting waiting. It was it was really scary. I mean, I'm I'm playing it down, but in reality, I was absolutely shit scared at that point. And my son comes in. He goes, "Mom, do you mind if I sleep in your room? I'll just sleep it on the floor." And I was like, "Oh, thank goodness for that." And he's like, "Don't ever tell anyone." I'm like, "No, I won't." Don't <laughs> so, worry, son. I'll just so. wait to. Uh... <laughs> Go on a podcast and uh, <laughs> just reveal it all. Yeah, his name's Harrison Hobson, so let's really go there. <laughs> Poor fucker. I almost found myself, Joe, asking what happened, but clearly Nina's sitting alongside us, so. Oh, I don't know, actually. Are we in any danger today, Nina? No. Because I'm it's here. not that hard you're, getting you're... into these studios. <laughs> I, I just walked straight into there, waved at someone. Yeah, door was unlocked. Oh, f- <laughs> that's usually a sign. Like when I was little, we used to live in an area that uh, we'd just leave our doors open. I don't mean wide open, make it drafty, just we wouldn't lock them because it was safe. Then we got burgled. <laughs> but get this, we didn't learn, did we? Left it unlocked again. We we'd, we'd just carried on leaving the doors unlocked. Like It was absolutely fine. Do you know what happened? Got burgled. We got burgled again. <laughs> we fucking got burgled twice. <laughs> Right, so son's in your room. So the next day he's shipped off to America and I I stay at home. And it was was a really lonely time because I didn't want to see anyone. But in my head, I had watched too many movies and so I was definitely going to be taken out at the traffic lights. That was was what I could see happening. Yeah, that is a go-to, isn't it, in the movie? Yeah, so I was like, oh, I'll stay home. So I'm living this life of I don't want to put my TV on in case I miss a a twig breaking or whatever. It was the August, so it started in the April, and in the August, the police asked me to come to England on a flight, and then they would arrest the person who was the hitman, basically. So that all went horribly wrong. I came to England, I rang them, they said, oh, he's not with us. Where is he? Because I'm now in England. No one knows in the whole world except you guys that I am in England. My kids, I'm like... So you've gone to where the hitman is? No, we didn't know where where he was. (laughs) He's He's in Australia. I fly to England, but they lose him. So now I don't know if he is in England, whether he's followed me here. October, a quarter to five in the morning, I'm still in the same house. I have, on the fourth floor, I have my own little camera. The police cameras are still, it looks like a James Bond set because I've got screens all around my middle floor. I have a little camera above my front door and the doorbell rings. Quarter to five, it's dark. So I look outside and can't see anyone. I go down to the next level and all of my screens are black. Oh so my I'm like, God. okay, something's not right here. Like there's no, it's <laughs> nothing. I rang my ex-husband and said, I think the hitman's here. What should I do? He was like, get off the phone and ring the police or press your panic button. I said, I know it's early in the morning. They'll just be starting. I don't want to trouble them. Whoa, 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 whoa. Joe, if you're in Nina's situation, are you thinking, I, they'll be busy at this time of day. I'll, I'll call them later. Such a British thing to do, isn't it? <laughs> oh, it's don't early. Don't trouble. It's a bit early. <laughs> Yeah. I'll give it an hour. <laughs> try, it's like it's like the doctor's call in the morning, isn't it? You got everyone rushing for the eight. I won't o'clock. do the eight. I'll do ten. <laughs> I'll do it at ten because they get a lot of calls at eight. Yeah. What the fuck is the matter with you, Nina? <laughs> Carry on. I don't know. Right. So anyway. The police arrive. I press the button, but uniform arrive. They don't have any clue really what they're there for because obviously it's kind of super confidential. So they say, oh, there's nothing wrong. It was a mistaken identity. Like they said that somebody had randomly gone to my door. Well, that's not true. He said, oh, I'll get the detectives to come around later. So the detectives came and said, yeah, it's a technical fault, but we'll look at the hard drive just to see. And then on the Monday morning, I was actually in a, a meeting with the SAS. Still got my phone on in my handbag in a meeting that I'm not allowed a phone. Phone rings. And so I'm like, oh, fuck. Now I'm panicking because I've upset the SAS. 
yes. And the cops say, get to your house now. So I go back to my house and they said, we've found the footage. I said, you told me on Friday that there wasn't anything. Oh no, we've found it now. Yes, the hitman got out of his car with a firearm. He then jams with a jammer the whole of the CCTV in the whole area so that no one can see him. But he doesn't jam it quick enough because he doesn't jam it before he gets out the car. He jams it literally at that second. So we do get a picture of him with his gun. So now they're like, okay, so now you have to go into protection. I'm like, it's not happening. I'm telling you, it's not happening. We go through all the whole plan B kind of scenario. I'm, I'm kind of over this now. I'm living in fear. I'm looking over my shoulder, but more importantly, I have children. I made a decision to contact the head of the the organised crime group, who is straight out of central casting, let me tell you. He should be in Peaky Blinders, for sure. Uh, I said, I need to meet with you. And he said, OK, will you bring your surveillance team or you bring the cops and I will kill you myself? So then I have a dilemma. Do I go with the team or do I risk upsetting this guy? So I make a decision not to tell anyone. I tell one person on the way there, not in detail what's happening, but I just say, this is where I'm going. So I arrive and honestly, it's the funniest scenario ever when I look back. He's there with his bagman, the guy who carries his firearms. And we sat at a table, and I hate tea, but being English, everyone's like, you like tea? So he's like, cup of tea? Yeah, great. And so we have a cup of tea, and I'm sat opposite this guy, and I've, for some reason, I've got dressed up. I'm in heels and a suit. I'm like, what the, what the hell? Well, if you're going to go out, you might as well go, yeah, go out looking nice. Yeah, put yeah. Those, those red soles on. Yeah, yeah, yeah good point. And um, I beg him, I literally beg him, and I say, please, look, I can't live like this. You are a... A father, you know what it's like, and I can't live like this. And I, I never wanted to investigate you guys. This wasn't... And uh, he looked at me and he said, you have balls. And I went, oh, thanks. And he said, from now on, we'll shake on it and it's done. You'll never have an issue with us again. And I was like, okay. And we literally, I'm drinking this tea wanting to vomit, but I'm like, I can I can do this. I can fine. And then I stood up and I shook his hand and I knew that's how they traded things. And that was it. And I knew at that point that I was, was going to be safe. That is the single most extraordinary story, Joe, we have ever heard on this podcast. And out of all of it, there were so many times at which you should have been the most scared, yeah? And yet... The biggest issue you had in all of that story was that a cup of tea <laughs> made you feel poorly. Right. What the <laughs> fucking fuckity fuck fuck? We should make a film. We should, we should exactly. That's a film. We Nina. should start making a film right now in this studio about Nina's story. Please, can we get that cleared? We have it cleared. We're making. I know. Producer said yes. That. Wow. This episode is sponsored by the following excellent people. Hey, oh. It's Freddie Ashdown. The Groundsman, Terry Cash. How's it? Jonathan Pratt. Cool Kevin Wyatt. Peer pressure, Kate Pierce. Tender Love and Sean Carey. Simply the best. Mark Bestie. Dangerous Dan Schott and Grant the Old Bailey. Louis Morgan, Carl Lewis and Becky Garrett. The Easterman, Daniel Beers Baker. Fireman Sam Williams and Tim Eaton Mess. To be more like all of them, go to patreon.com forward slash Joe Marler Show. Become an official sponsor, get bonus content and grow the show today. I mean, I was going to ask you, Nina, about what it was like being a bodyguard for Beyonce, but I cannot see it topping that story. No. <laughs> In short, no. I'll tell you what. 
I'll talk about Bono instead. Bono, Bono, Bono. Bono sunglasses, Bono. What's your favourite U2 song, Joe? I have to change the angle of questioning here. Nothing compares. <laughs> the Prince Nothing version or the Sinead O'Connor version? Oh, genuine. <laughs> oh, uh, what's that one? It's when um, Ross is in Friends and I think things just left him. I can't leave if living is without you. <laughs> <laughs> That's Harry Nilsson. You mean? Okay, okay you wait mean, for it. Wait for it. With or without you, without without you, baby. Uh huh. Is that the one? Did I get any of it? You got an element of it. Didn't it's, he do the Live Aid one? The Live Aid one. Yeah. Ew. That's Freddie Mercury. I'm sure Bono was something. He's on oh, White he, Christmas. He, no, he's on Band-Aid. <laughs> anyway, you were Bono's bodyguard. Bono, yeah, bless him. We had a great time because we were we were doing nice stuff. <laughs> we were on a very nice yacht just off of Australia. And there's a little tiny island called Rottnest Island, which oh, is like... Oh, the coast of Perth, yeah, Rotty. Yeah, Rotty, yeah. where you get the quokkas that yeah. you don't get anywhere else in the world. Quokkas. Mm. Quokka. Quokkas. <laughs> You've never seen a quokka? Is that like a duck that's shaped like a... Is that a crocodile shaped like a duck? Quokka? A crocodile? Was... Is, it? is it? What in the fuck is a quokka? G'day, mate. If you check out my quokka. What is a quokka? Stop looking at me. Just tell me the answer. It's like a rat, kind of. Oh, it's a rat. But like yeah, a but friendly big one. It's a friendly big one. So, a friendly so, big rat. So I know. big. Celeb... Probably this big, but celebrities go out to Rotnest to take a selfie with them because they'll sit by you. Roger Federer, Adele, they've all got selfies. They look selfies. Like Yeah, look at the Quokka selfies. Hang on, I'm just looking at just sent you a photo of a Quokka. All of fame. Oh, my God, they're so cute. Yeah. They only live on this one island. Fuck off, really? Yeah. Where's this island? Off the coast of Perth. It's how far, beautiful. How long? Not far. You no, 20, ferry, 20, 30 minutes on the ferry. From here? <laughs> from London, Kennington, from Perth, Australia. I'll tell you what, this one, look how cute Let's this look one at this is. Geezer. Oh my God, I want that. Oh, it's, it's so cute. I want a quokka. Yeah. We'll put this on our social feeds because he's got a little cheeky grin on his face. Yeah. Now you check out this geezer, look. I know, they, they look exactly like that. That's not photoshopped oh. at all. They're they, so they, cute. they look that but, happy. Yeah. He's doing a slight side eye, isn't he? So Bono's on Rotten. So we're, we're on the yacht and he wants to go onto the island and I'm like, no, that's not happening because his fans are crazy. It's radio contact the whole time. They're trying to cut you off in the vehicles and everything. And so I was like, no, we have to not go on the island. I haven't got a big enough team. So what are we going to do? So we, we just moored up in this amazing yacht. But it came to, they were drinking Cristal Champagne and I'm like, that's my... That's my tipple. So I told him this. And then when I finished working that night and I went to say goodnight and swap over lead, he was like, uh-uh, we're going to sit and drink this. I was like, oh, I don't get to, I don't drink while I'm, you're not on duty anymore. In the meantime, while we're drinking champagne, his fans are canoed out to the yacht and they're climbing up the side. And I wish that I could... Uh, nothing more satisfying than just stamping on someone's fingers. Oh, hang on, <laughs> hang on. So you're sipping Cristal with Bono and people are scaling his yacht and you are stamping on their fingers and they're, ah! Yeah. Falling back into yeah. the waters was, of Rotten Island. It was Island. so much fun. Can I ask you two supplementary Bono questions, please? Number one, is he quite small? Yes. Five, four? Yes. Really? He's tiny. He's like, That's you put diddy, him, isn't you it? You put him in your pocket. I don't know what for, but I, I yeah. could try. Yeah. Yeah. And then you could put him in the pouch of your hoodie, like a marsupial. Or like a like a papa quokka. <laughs> <laughs> and he's my baby quokka. <laughs> 
My second one of question, Nina. Does he always wear Cuban heels? <laughs> I, I can't answer that question. Um, and did you refer to him as Bono, Mr. Bono, or by his real name of Paul? Bono. Just Bono. Is Everyone his real name Paul? Bono. Yeah, Paul. So where's Bono come from? I think it came from an amp that they used to use, a Bono Vox amp. And also it's a better name than Paul, isn't it, if you're going to be the front man of a massive rock and roll. Uh, yeah. So are you done with all your Bono inquiries? I think so. He's, oh. a, he's amazing. Nina... Can you tell us a little bit more about your podcast that you do? It's called Codename Siren. Codename Siren, as you say, and it's a true crime podcast. And I basically talk about real life as I'm sometimes living it or in the past, such as, you know, there's an episode on, on the hit. My kids, they'll be on there. Operatives are on there. Victims, I have a number of victims who have sadly been crimes that I've investigated. So it's just a very, very true and raw podcast and I love it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's doing really well. It's really good fun. In all seriousness, we've ended the episode on a slightly higher, more positive note and in, an interesting character you are, which is wonderful. But the way in which you spoke at the start of the episode about sex trafficking industry and sort of the casualness and the fearlessness of which you've spoke about it and yet you're doing an incredible job or part of a campaign to really stop a huge issue that is in the world that and it's opened my eyes up even more so and uh, I'm just really grateful for you coming on and, and sharing your experiences so thank you. Thank you for having me I've had a blast. Thank you Nina. Well I mean, there were some stories there, Joe. We were a bit worried, weren't we? We said at the start of the show that it was a bit different for us. I'm really glad we did that show. It was a bit different for us, but I think it's important that we continue to do that because there's stories out there and there's people out there with messages and things that they need to say that people need to hear. Like, not just me and you. A lot of it is just me and you that want to open up our fucking very tiny minds mine smaller than yours obviously but opening up to what is going on in the world both good and bad because ultimately shit things are happening across the world but it's people like Nina that are really helping to eradicate or get as close as possible to getting rid of the shit that's out there yeah it was a, it was a tough listen at times but also a roller coaster of emotions throughout one fucking episode so yeah I enjoyed it good well let's leave today there Joe good idea and we'll catch up next time Goodbye. Crowd Network, a place where you belong. Sports Social Podcast Network.